basically. Let's go around the horn, and I'll assume if you give me a go, you've got no instrumentation problems. Booster? Go flight. Retro? Go flight. Fighter? Go flight. Control? Telcom? Go. TNC? Econ? Capcom? Go. Surgeon? Go. OMP? Go. AFC? RAO? Go. Network? Go. You got everything up? Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. Today on Terranauts, we have a couple of very special guests, and the first guest is really our first um, Terranaut by association that we've had on the podcast. I think it's fair to say that Helena Hatfield never really expected that she was going to be deeply involved in the space program. Um, she did, though, from a fairly early age, know that she wanted to be uh, deeply involved in the life of the man who would eventually become her husband, since they were, in fact, high school sweethearts. Uh, and since her husband is former Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, the whole space thing kind of came as a package deal. Um, so even though Helena may not have ever thought about going to space, I think it's fair to say that she has spent 30 odd years hearing about it, all about it. It's probably also fair to say that at certain points in her life, um, she has very much been focused on what's happening in orbit around the Earth, even though she herself has never left the planet. And that makes her a Terranaut in my book. My other guest, of course, is the aforementioned Chris Hadfield, who really doesn't need much of an introduction to this audience. Suffice it to say that he is a former multi-time shuttle astronaut, as well as a former commander of the International Space Station. But more lately, he is also the best-selling author of a new novel, The Apollomers, which is what I would certainly call a ripping good yarn, and which clearly draws on his familiarity not only with NASA, but also with the Russian space program. So if you're looking for an international thriller that is quite literally out of this world, you should really pick it up. Elena, Chris, welcome to Terranauts. Hey. Thanks, thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Good, good to be chatting with you. So today is a special episode on Terranauts. It's the episode to mark the NASA Day of Remembrance, which is the day set aside every year in the last week of January to remember all of those who've lost their lives in the service of humanity's journey off the planet. The date is chosen because the major accidents in NASA's programs have actually all occurred during this week. The Apollo 1 fire in 1967 and the loss of the shuttles Challenger and Columbia in 1986 and 2003. So today is about remembering. But I don't want it to be an episode that dwells on tragedy and on sacrifice um, that those you know who we are remembering have made. I really want it to be an episode about remembering them and that's why I'm so glad to have Chris and Elena with me today, because Chris and Elena, you knew some of these people that we're remembering today. In some cases, you knew them quite well. Uh, could I ask you to share some of your memories about them? You know, um, before I became an astronaut, Helena and I lived up in the high desert in California, where I was a test pilot going through the test pilot school with the U.S. Air Force. It was at uh, Edwards Air Force Base, where Chuck Yeager had broken the speed of sound. And um, we were there in 88. So it was, you know, not too long after the Challenger accident. And we happened to be there uh, during the return to flight. So sort of on the other side of when one mm -hmm. of these horrible events happened. But we were there as a bunch of excited uh, astronaut wannabes. You know, we're, we're doing well as test pilots and, and, our, and our families living there uh, at Edwards Air Force Base. But um, going through test pilot school was sort of a necessary uh, technical skill, but also a rite of passage on the way to becoming an astronaut. 
And one of the first days at, at test pilot school, the, the commander of the school, Mike Kostelnik, walked in to the big auditorium there and said, so who all of you wants to be an astronaut? And almost everybody stuck their <laughs> hand up. But in that group, there were three of us that went on to fly out of 24. There were three of us that went on to fly in space. One was Susan Helms, and one was myself, and the other was Rick Husband. And I remember being out uh, on the lake bed uh, in 88, when the, uh, the crew that had returned to flight after that horrific Challenger accident, and now it was Rick Houck and Dick Scobie and those guys, I guess, who were, who were coming and, uh, and getting the flight program going again. And it was such you know, a great and optimistic time that we had somehow overcome the huge technical problems uh, that had been evidenced by the Challenger accident, but also the, the personal side of that where uh, now we were back in business again. But when we were there as a class, you know, we were all sort of on this hillside in the desert at Edwards. The kids were running around amongst the, you know, juniper bushes and stuff. Um, you know, Rick Husband was there with his wife and um, never, none of us ever sort of connecting the dots at the time that, hey, we might actually someday get selected as astronauts and in the pursuit of that exploration, it may be some of us that, that are killed, you know, by this, uh, by this quest. Um, I'm not sure it would have daunted anybody because the job of a test pilot is extremely dangerous. Mm. Um, and, and some things are worth taking risks for, but it really the personal side of the story of us knowing um, the husbands uh, began back in 88 at test pilot school and Rick, who was the commander of Columbia um, when it came apart there, uh, I guess on the 1st of February, 2003. And Evelyn, his, yeah, his and, wife. And, and Evelyn, his wife, yeah. And, and, and he, they were a great couple. Rick was yes. a singer. You know, Rick husband, sure. I, I'd always been a musician, but Rick, Rick had basically paid his way through college. Really? Texas Tech. As a singing waiter. As being a singing <laughs> waiter. <laughs> And he had one of those deep, smooth, mellifluous baritone voices, just right. beautiful. He did a version of, um, what's that, down in the old Texas town of El Paso? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in love with a Mexican girl. I can, right. I can still hear Rick's voice singing wow. that. And he and I did many impromptu music gigs going through test pilot school. And then later, um, you know, we got selected into the astronaut corps in 92 and then his class came i think in 95 so so yeah we'd known rick for years and years and uh and as you know we knew the other astronauts on columbia um but uh but i think it was the the husband family that uh that was most personal to us uh, out of the columbia crew and he was funny just funny and loved very deeply deeply religious man um uh, his he both he and his wife you know held bible studies and and lived a really good person kind of life um but he was funny and self-deprecating and and just a heck of a nice guy he, i remember rick said and and it, it's hard to even quote he said you know i feel more like i do now than i did when i first came in <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to do it with the texas accent yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 so and their kids are the same age as yours 
kind of yeah, they were slightly younger than ours but basically the same yeah their daughter and uh and so yeah we you know we they were we all lived on the same street at edwards called shining drive sharon like, like a woman's name not not sharon like like uh you know splitting things up mm -hmm. um, but uh and so they were just down the street from us and then he rotated out and got it. He was Air Force, U.S. Air Force. So he stayed there um, in between test pilot school and going to be an astronaut. But yeah, they're the same stage. Kids just at, you know, kindergarten kind of level. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. Up, you know, early uh, phase of life. And it's so much fun to look at those class pictures now. Yes. Uh, because we were pretty sure we knew everything and we were in charge of everything, you know, young test pilots. <laughs> and, um, but it was really, as I see it now, just one really interesting and challenging phase of all all this that was going to happen. I think people people who who don't know the space program don't don't understand how tight the uh, the crew the astronaut community is um, at JSC. It it really is a bunch of people who have a lot in common, uh, who who you know have a lot of common experiences and and do spend a lot of time with one another, not just at work. Yeah, and also, you know, I hear all the time, especially now with um, space tourism just beginning, you know, when, when are normal people going to be able to go <laughs> <in> space? <laughs> it, it just cracks <laughs> me up. Like, if you could have just come to our our, our test pilot uh, activities and think it would, we couldn't be a bunch more normal people. We're just yes. pursuing yes. a different profession. And just a bunch of folks who have decided to put a certain focus in their lives to try and do something that is abnormal. But, but um, that commonality of purpose tends to supersede uh, what would normally be seen as, as differences and barriers, yes. you know, whether it's yes. the country you were born in, yes. whatever yes. religion you are, or uh, whatever language you learned as a kid, or yes. you know, whatever. They, it, the, the filter that spits out astronauts tends to be the same sort of uh, mesh of filter, yeah. no matter um, what uh, what country you came from, and and so whether it's someone from Russia or someone from Japan or someone from yes. Canada or someone yeah. from Texas, um, uh, and really and just sort of by nature and and nurture a, a tight group of people. And I think you could say that for many of the people that are working yes. at NASA or the con like the like like your podcast is celebrating the Terranauts you know yes. those people are all so you will be um it's it people will tend to socialize together and be such a tight group because sure. everybody is working for that one great purpose well and and the thing is for the families too i mean especially sure. since a lot of the astronauts are test pilots which means military which means a lot of moving around uh, you know families tend to have each other as the community because you yeah. don't have time to put down roots in, in places right yeah yeah for sure um and, and it's, it's kind of an unusual existence because you you get you all sort of get parachuted into one new place and yes. then there's, there's a there's a fixed amount of time that it's going to be happen, going to be there. We are, you know, a post. Yes. We are yes. all going to be there for one year. We are all going to be there for three yes. years or whatever. And and that adds a certain rhythm to life as well, but also uh, a need for acceptance. You've got to just you, you're not going to spend a bunch of years getting to know people. Um, you know, you need to go, OK, this is our group. Let's get at yeah. it. And let's, yeah. let's learn about each other and have a good time. And and let's not be too remorseful when 
this particular phase ends and we're moving on to the next one. There's sort right. of a, a practicality to the astronaut military life. And, and Elena, you know, I know the astronauts all think they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, yeah. uh, as you do when you're that age. But, you know, I mean, it's a dangerous job. And it, even just being a test pilot is a dangerous job. How, what do families think about, about having somebody in that line of work? It is... Um... It's different for everybody. There's there's families that that they suffer. They suffer a lot because it, it weighs on them. It wasn't what they necessarily signed up for, and now all of a sudden their spouse is an astronaut doing this dangerous thing when maybe they were a um, an engineer, yeah. um, and they never expected that. They weren't a, a fighter pilot. They weren't any of those things, and. And that can cause um, a lot of conflict or worry. Um, I know uh, some astronauts who ended up flying and then leaving the program because their families just couldn't take it. Yes. Uh, they couldn't take the stress of the fact that yes, and you know, for Chris's first flight, there was a one in thirty-eight chance that he would die. And so, you know, that's hard sometimes to accept. Then there's other uh, spouses who are just yeah, that's fine. You know, we accept the risk. We understand that this is for a bigger purpose and you can die walking across the street. I mean, I walked out to the Publix today in Florida here and I had to watch like crazy. Because, yeah, well, it is Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so you, you just never know. So there's the range. And, and I think it just, um, it's each individual family and how the, the astronaut themselves handles things and how how they deal with some of the stresses of, of course bleeds into how the families deal with it but i mean increasingly and even in 2003 astronauts i'm looking at the list the, most of them were military but Chavo wasn't mm -hmm. uh, in that crew but they they were a pretty diverse crew compared to you know even the you know the apollo days or the early shuttle days e even then um you know we were getting a lot of people with different backgrounds uh, starting as astronaut. Yes. Yeah. Dave, sure. Dave Brown was a fascinating guy. You know, he, uh, a medical doctor and a military pilot, both, you know, imagine having that, that combined skill set and, uh, a circus performer. Right. Like, if, you if, know, yeah. Uh, if he'd owned a pickup truck, he never would have spent a weekend on his own. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, an amazing, amazingly busy and interesting guy. And yeah. you talk to him. He just, he always had this sly smile sort of, of, of just having so much stuff under his belt that he yeah, done. really, but, but never boastful about it at all. Just an easy one. And Mike Anderson had the parking slot next to me with his, he had one of those nice little, um, I think Japanese made sports cars, which he loved. And, uh, and there, you know, he was just a really quiet, easygoing, you know, the whole crew of Columbia, they were handpicked for that flight because it, it was the shuttle or the station assembly era, but they were going off to do their own sort of science flight, not, That's part right. of, That's not right. one of the, one of the, you know, engineering assembly flights, they were sort of handpicked um, to be a, a special group of people to go off and, and just purely do science the best that a space shuttle could. And there was a real feeling within the Columbia crew, including Elon uh, Ramon and, and, and everybody of, of sort of a higher purpose camaraderie and, and sort of a quiet confidence. And Rick had really cultivated, Rick Husband really cultivated that with the crew. Um, you know, they, they, 
they'd gone climbing mountains together and, and, and done all sorts of things to get themselves as ready as possible for that experience. And if anything, it made their loss um, even more poignant. Yeah. Well, I guess a lot of people don't, don't probably don't realize, you know, when you, you get named to a crew, what, a year and a half, maybe sometimes two years before a flight, it, it's really important to become a really cohesive team. I mean, you're going to be stuck in a tin can in the vacuum of space. You, you really don't want to have to spend much time figuring out what everybody thinks or means or says. You know, it, it's being a really tight team is really important. And the process is not what most people think. Um, if you were the chief of the astronaut office and the, you know, a bunch of people have rotated through that job, you need to put together a crew. And so you look at what's the challenge of this, this task? What are, the, what are the skills that we really need here? And then you look at who's available out of the astronaut corps, because some people are already assigned to a flight or on the space station or whatever. So you've got this list of names and then you try and match them together. And then you want to bring in the, the prospective commander and say, hey, this is the group of folks that I'm thinking of. You know, what do you think? And then uh, it's up to the, the head of the astronaut office to go in and talk to each person and say, hey, I'm, I'm assigning you to this crew. But then the real moment, the commander uh, will then probably host a dinner at their house. This is how it always works. And hey, we're going to have everybody over, bring your spouses, and this is our kickoff together. And it is... It's just such an exciting moment, you know, yes. when you and, and these group of people that you sort of know, but you haven't spent a whole bunch of time with, they're just office mates. Now you, the, the group of you are becoming a unit. Yeah. And that, that meeting, uh, that very human evening where the commander naturally speaks of their excitement of the promise of sure. what's going to happen sure. and, and the, the, you know, the, the uh, pride and the skills of the group of people that, that are all going to work together. You know, it's it's a it's a very small and uh, group of folks and, and a very human thing, and, and and that's probably you know somewhere eighteen months, two years, even longer before you're actually going to fly. It's like all of us are about to go get a master's degree together, right? You know, right. Whatever. Yeah, it's about like that. You're right. And and, uh, and now and now the games are beginning. And and for Columbia, well, for all of for the Challenger crew, for you know all these people that 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 we're honoring here at this time of year, all of them went through some semblance of that. Um, knowing that they were about to take a huge risk, uh, willing to take those risks on behalf of their own beliefs and, and the trust of others, but also doing it for very personal human reasons. So, you know, like it or not, it's great to talk about them, but, you know, we are here because their stories did end in tragedy. And, you know, none of those folks are with us today and their passing has left a big hole in the lives of their families and in the lives of friends like you. Um, so we do need to confront what happened and what it was like. And I'd like to ask you, if you don't mind, to talk a little bit about um, the Columbia accident and, and what it was like to live through that, what it was like to support their families through that and, and to support co co-workers and, and, as well. Yeah, I was uh, the star I'd been over in Russia. I'd been serving as NASA's director and had, oddly enough, just returned. You know, when when Columbia launched and it had its fatal damage because of the piece of foam coming off that punched a hole in the left wing that nobody knew for sure about. Um, I was in Russia at that time and I'd watched a little video of that bit of foam shattering on the leading yes, edge. Yes, yes. Um, but. They were about to come home. You know, it was the last couple of days of Columbia and I'd gotten on the airplane and flown all the way back from Russia, back to Houston. And um, 
and had uh, gotten to the house, you know, sort of the night before. And then the next morning, uh, you know, since I'd been away and I was sleep shifted and our daughter was there as well with Helena, uh, we've decided, well, let's, let's go out to brunch, you know, get up and, and head out to brunch. And I wasn't paying much attention to, uh, to Columbia just because, you know, I all just kind of, okay. Whew, None of away. us had even. No, no. Well, the hard part was over, right? We got through we, the solid rockets separated. That was the thing everybody focused on after yeah. Challenger, right? Yeah, and and they'd completed their mission, and now they were just going to come home like the, you know all the other missions had. And so we uh, we piled into the car, and we were driving to to the little place we like to go for brunch there. And I got in the car, uh, and I, I I think Elena was driving, and uh, Kristen was in the back seat, our daughter. And I opened up my little phone because you know I'd just come in from Russia, so. And it started, and it immediately populated with a whole bunch of messages. Yeah, like hundred and and, and I'm and we're like, holy oh, crap! Then we were like, something must have like even when he said, oh, like the the just even the sheer volume, both of us knew something had happened. So so we turned the car around and, and we went back to the house. We didn't even leave the driveway. At yeah, that no, point. we were just in that road, were just we? leaving. Uh, okay. Yeah, and and. Uh, Turn around, went back in, and turn the TV on. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I, I I sensed you channeling that at one point in your book, actually, because <laughs> without giving too much away, there's an accident in the book, and and I, I I you know the way that was written sounded like someone who'd been there when that news shows up. How you suddenly know that everything's different now, right? Like, yeah, and we we were hoping that maybe you know. It, it wasn't really bad, but yeah. as soon as we got the TV on and there was that image of the vehicle, you know, all those streaks of light across yeah. the Texas sky. Yeah. And, um, you know, then we immediately knew that they, this is an unsurvivable accident. And uh, I'll let Helena speak for herself, but I was just standing there feeling numb and, and, so uh, sorrowful, but also just so angry that we had allowed this thing to happen. You know, I'd been sitting there just the week before in Russia, playing that little video of the foam hitting the wing over and over, you know, one of those little quickie loops where you can watch it 30 times going, gosh, we've never seen that before. But, you know, management's got a hold of it and they're looking at it close and they've got the, the big telescopes to zoom in and all that. I'm, I'm sure they're doing their absolute best, but then to have it all unravel in front of me, and especially knowing all the people on board, but having known the husbands and, and Rick for, for all of those decades, it, it was even more uh, more personal. Yeah. And, and Helena, Helena and Kristen both started crying. And I remember Helena just, uh, as soon as we saw that she like fell down to her knees in the living room there, and uh, you know, just crying and the grief and the the realization of just how hard this is going to be and what it means for their family and what it means for everybody's realization, what it means for the program. You know, it it uh, uh, it's it's one of those moments when you know nothing's ever going to be the same, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and then a matter. Well, you pretty well right away once you you know you quickly jump out of your your own i guess selfish thoughts and then 
uh, it's like, okay, what can I do? And, and that was for Chris, the biggest thing is what can I do? What can I do? And, and for me, it was holding him back from trying to do too much because everybody wants to yes. do everything. And yes. sometimes yes. it's too much to have every, and that's why NASA sets up and the, the astronaut office sets up uh, a way, a way things are done. And, and mm -hmm. the, the, you know, a checklist of, okay, so-and-so is going to contact and this is the person and it's all set. And so the only thing you can do at that point is stay out of the way, work on your own grief till you can get it a bit. Yeah, under which control. is, which is harder than anything else. You it can is. Do. It's, it's harder because you can't help at that point later, you know, you can help. But at that point, you can't help because everybody's help wants to help. Well, it, it um, does tend to be a bunch of personalities that like to get in and get things done, right? So. Well, but it, it's also they, you know, each astronaut has some had had another astronaut assigned to them in right. case of. So uh, their family has one and two, one to two astronauts per family to take care of that family. So Evelyn right away would have had somebody over there with her right. and that she knew and trusted. Right. And so they are the ones that start, start on it. And then when they need help, they reach out to their astronaut friends or other resources and say, okay, you know, Evelyn needs this, or this family needs that. And, um, and then that person, you know, then Chris could help if, if well, it's, it's interesting. It's actually, you know, even though there haven't been this, that many of these incidents, when you go back and read about the Apollo one fire, Apollo didn't know how to handle it, or mm -hmm. NASA didn't know how to handle it. No, they it didn't. is something that by, by, hard experience, NASA learned how that this is a part of spaceflight and you need to learn how to deal with it. Yes. And, you know, in at uh, each, I've been to many launches uh, as one of those family escorts or, or one of the, you know, personal contact people. And I like going to launches. It's fun. Yes. But uh, what I'm really there for is how are, how are we all going to react when it goes badly? You know, that's that's why we have other astronauts there. It's it's not just a clap, you know, but it, it is actually to take care of things as they go wrong and, uh, you know, to have a, an immediate plan. It's called the contingency plan, right? A nice NASA name for what to do when when the crew dies. Contingency action plan, how we're going to put it in place. And I've stood in Florida for it multiple times and then stood there next to families in, in Baikonur, Kazakhstan for the same thing. And I was recently at uh, one of the commercial launches with Virgin Galactic, and they're still very much, you know, in the honeymoon phase. Of course, it's going to go well, and yeah. and we don't even yeah. want to talk yeah. about things going yeah. wrong because that might jinx it, you know. Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah, yeah, it yeah. The way NASA was for a lot of years, but but with a little bit of experience and maturity, you realize what you actually need to do is have a plan that that is proven and and it is going to work. So that when things go wrong, uh, you don't just make them go further wrong by not it's knowing. What it's interesting doing. that all all the accidents are eighteen years apart, right? They're one generation apart. It's it's uh, it's it's there's something about that, but yeah, and and, and if, if you do the math from 2013, it's a uh, you know it yeah it, I know it worries me 2003, as well. 2003, yeah I know. Yeah, we're 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 launching new vehicles now with uh, SpaceX and with. Orion and uh, and here Boeing fairly soon, and then the new commercial vehicles that are taking people to space. 
you know, I, I'm not a superstitious guy, but um, here it is the end of January. But, but, and, you know, it, it's just uh, pa patterns in the data are patterns in the data. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there is a, that. I mean, there's only the two patterns for really for the yes, big ones. Yes. But um, but it, it is something that I I'm concerned about, not for Chris, obviously, since she's not flying as much anymore, uh, but that that there will be an accident when people start just like flying a airplane you get a sense of like oh everything's good and, and then you relax or if you're driving your car you just kind of relax and you stop being as vigilant and that's what i'm worried more because it will happen because they will you know until they until there is a, a life loss catastrophic accident Yes, there will be a relaxation happening at all times and also the monetary uh, and it's not just for the commercial uh, spaceflight people it's also for NASA because as budgets tighten and things tighten and everything it's like well 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 we you know we could save here we could save yeah. here and that yeah. it concerns me because yeah, you, I, I think you're right you know you don't want that you know I mean I didn't know many of the crew well I, i'd met and worked with a couple of them um but i i was quite deeply involved in the effort to recover from the accident for return to flight because we, we built a sensor that helped with that and i know that for me i i really did feel a responsibility kind of like you talked about after challenger to to get back to flying but also to do it as safely as possible because i mean it, it is absolutely true that we collectively all of us have failed that crew I, I don't know how exactly, but, but, you know, there were failures that caused their loss. And, and I, I think anybody responsible working on the program, you know, felt that that was something we owed their memories was to realize that we needed to re rededicate ourselves to not failing the next crew. You know, I made it really simple in my mind. And, and that was, if it had been me that had died as the commander of Columbia instead of Rick, what would I have wanted to happen next? You know, very simple. What would I have wanted to happen next? And would I have wanted everybody to quit and go home? I mean, that, that would have been just ridiculous to suggest right, that, right. that somehow my death would have, would have had that impact. It, and what I concluded immediately from knowing Rick well and the other people was the opposite. They would have wanted it to learn every single thing possible from what happened here and make space flight better, make it safer. And space flight will always be better and safer as a result of the people that we're honoring here at the end of January, early February. It was a horrible price to, play, to pay. But if you look at the, the Soviet early on accidents and how that drove the design of their vehicles or uh, the Apollo fire that killed those three guys you know, when we lived in Houston, the local school was named after, you know, that, you know, that, that not just that little legacy, but, but all design of spaceships since then learned from that. And, and the same with Challenger, we, we changed our, our methodology for launch, and then a huge amount from Columbia. So, so to me, that, yeah, the immediate work, of course, of supporting family and taking care of the, you know, the, the, spouses and kids and uh, of the families and getting them set up for the rest of their lives best way you can. But then you roll back into the root causes and try and change the program so that it'll always be better and safer. And I think to the Columbia Cruise credit, 
we executed the whole rest of the space shuttle program right through to 2011, another eight years, multiple flights without one injury, with nowhere near anybody's death. I mean, we rebuilt the Hubble telescope a couple times so that it's done all its magnificent work and saved and built the International Space Station because otherwise it would have just you know died a, an early unfinished death. So, so uh, to me, that was the quest. And we did it as a world community, which even in 2003, we were only starting to do, right? I mean, uh, you know, we, we are a much more international space community than we were 20 years ago. That's sure. And, you know, something maybe folks don't know, Ian, is um, the worldwide reaction to the Columbia accident. Because I, we were driving on uh, the NASA Parkway every day there, right by the, the Johnson Space Center, um, people just wanted to do something, you know, to, to express their, both their, their sadness, but also um, their support. And schools and individuals and organizations and countries sent things so that it was overwhelming. And so they just, the space center started posting them by the big entrance sign that's right there along NASA Highway or NASA Parkway. And there, there were thousands of them. I mean, it, it covered a huge section of the fence on the way in, just as a reminder to everybody who was working there and to the families of the honor and the respect for the crew that had died, but also um, the, the, the will and the international desire for us to, uh, to pick up the pieces and, and move forward. Elena, do you have anything to add to that about what, what do we owe them and what do we owe their, their families for the sacrifice that they made? I, the, the one thing that I, that I had planned for Chris's death just in case in my own mind. When I, what I didn't plan for is that when we met with the challenger, when, when this astronaut spouses met with the challenger spouses, you know, 20 years on uh, after this death and they were there to give us advice. And what horrified me actually, actually was how the realization that they had never been allowed to forget so every, you know, the anniversary of, and the, you know, and, and so, you know, their children who, who had long since tried to forget it or not forget it, but put it yes. behind them, you know, how do you feel? It's 15 yeah, years, it's yeah, 20 years. Yeah. And that horrified me because most spouses who are widowed or most children, they can move on a little bit. It's not that you forget, but you can move on. These families could never move on. And it's something that actually scared the Jesus out of me because I never thought that of that, you know, it's bad enough to lose your spouse or your, or your, or your parent, but to never, to always have it as a wound. Yeah. You know, it's a wound. And, um, and so I think if I gave anybody advice to anybody, if they meet just one of the, the people that were involved, just don't talk about it. You know, it's, it's, it's because it is, it's always been a part of their life, but we don't need to be bringing it up over and over and over to them. It's, I, I I, I honor them in every January, just like this, um, this 
podcasts, I honor them and think about them all the time. But if I met them, the first thing, you know, I just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be what you talked about. Wouldn't be what I talk about. No, well, that's, that's a really good point. I um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, so I think about the only thing that's left to do is to make sure that we remember everyone that we're remembering today. And we do have a list. I need to find mine here. Um, and, and this and is a we, list. What's yeah, that? These aren't, these aren't only those, the astronaut, this isn't all the astronauts who have died along the way, but these are the ones who have died. Like I, I knew Patty Hillier, Patty Hilliard Robertson, who was the class of 98, I think she was killed in training as an astronaut, but it, but it was, you know, off duty hours flying a little airplane and, and it was horrifically tragic and very personal. And she was a good friend and, and, you know, and she should have had a chance to fly. Um, and so I think personally, you know, I think about a, a lot of those other people as well. And when people ask me, do you miss flying in space? Yes. Well, no, I, I don't miss flying in space. I did fly in space. <laughs> I didn't miss it. I, I'm one of the people who got to do it. But what I miss are the people who didn't get their chance. I missed my friends who died young. Yes. Who yes. died early because they didn't get anywhere near realizing. No, like and people so, like, yeah. You know, you know, so people that I was on squadron with before we became astronauts. But, um, and so the list we're about to read are the people who had made it through and died in the line of duty. Yeah. And I some, think some, of, some of them in training, not all of them in spaceflight, but, but, but all but of so, them acting as astronauts. Yeah. yeah, in the line of duty of training or actually a, a spaceflight itself. And I think that's fine. And we need to honor those people. But it's also worth remembering that there were a lot of people who lost their lives along the way. And, and as an astronaut who was in the thick of it for you know multiple decades, um, those people are, are really close to my heart as well. But how about if, uh, how do you want to introduce? Well, I'll, since, since a number of the names at the beginning are Russian, I'm going to let you read the first uh, three and I'll, okay. I'll take over when we get to Challenger there. Okay. Um, Soyuz 1 in 1967 from uh, Soviet Union, Vladimir Komarov. And then the American program, the X-15 in 1967 from the United States, uh, Michael J. Adams. And then a, a horrific day, a Soyuz that was coming down through the atmosphere in 1971. And one of the little valves that they thought would work perfectly, but it rattled open when they were up above the atmosphere and all of the air uh, was pulled out of their vehicle. And at the time we didn't think we needed to wear pressure suits. And so these three men suffocated and uh, all three of them were, it was the Soviet Union at the time. So it was Georgi Dobrovolsky, and uh, Viktor Patsayev and uh, Vladislav Volkov. And then we have the list of the Challenger crew and the Challenger um, basically exploded uh, on launch uh, because of problems with the solid rocket boosters in 1986. And that crew was Gregory Jarvis, Krista McAuliffe, who was a teacher in space, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Judith Resnick of Judy Resnick, Michael Smith, and Dick Scobie. And Elena, would you like to read the names of the Columbia crew? Sure. And Columbia that uh, blew up coming back into the atmosphere. Rick Husband, William McCool, Michael Anderson, Dave Brown, Kapalna Chala Chala, Lauren Clark, and Ilan Ramon yeah, from and Israel. Yeah, from Israel. And William McCool, you know, 
there was never an astronaut with a better astronaut than Willie McCool. You know, in our class, we had Brent Jett, who survived the program. But, but Willie McCool, I mean, it's like a stage name. And he was such, uh, such a nice man. And Kalpna Chavla, to have come, you know, born in India and come to the United States with all of her hopes and dreams. I remember sitting one day with her talking about flying little airplanes in Canada up to the big crater, the Manicouagan crater up in Quebec, how she could plan that. So, uh, yeah, those names. Um, and maybe I'll just let you take it from there, Chris. Take sure. It and and then these are folks that that uh, that were killed in training. Soviet Union, uh, Valentin Bondarenka, um, uh, Freeman, Theodore Freeman, who was killed flying a T-38. Elliot C., who was killed flying a T-38. The T-38s are the little two-seat jets that astronauts fly to to uh, stay current and somewhere halfway between the ground and flying a spaceship. And uh, Charlie Bassett, who, uh, who died with Elliot C. that day in a T-38 in bad weather in St. Louis. And then three guys that died as horribly as, as any pilot's nightmare can be, the three folks that were training to be Apollo 1, you know, the original mm. Apollo crew. And yet they died in a simulator that caught fire and they it overpressurized and they couldn't open the hatch. Just a nightmare of a death for um, Gus Grissom and Ed White and uh, Roger Chaffee. And then um, uh, Williams, Clifton C. Williams, who died in a T-38. And then Robert Lawrence, who was um, going to be the first African-American astronaut. He was uh, selected in the Air Force Mole program. And, and he died in, a, in an F-104 accident out at Edwards. Um, and uh, Sergei uh, Vazovikov, um, who died in sea survival, the same sort of sea survival I've done he was from the Soviet or from Russia, but uh, I've done it with the Russians and with the Americans. And then, uh, and then more recently in commercial space flight, testing one of the early versions of the Virgin Galactic vehicle uh, with um, Michael Alsbury, uh, who died on the Virgin Galactic Enterprise. So that's the list, and that's pretty much going to do it for this episode of Terranauts, our episode of Remembrance. I really think. Uh, Elena and Chris for spending the time and adding your personal memories. It, I think it meant a lot to me and hopefully it means a lot to, to the listeners. It's an important day for a lot of the reasons that we talked about. I'm glad that we're able to mark it together. So thank you for joining me on Terranauts today. Hey, thanks Ian. And, and on, the, on the memory and the honor and the accomplishments of this people, it allows us to both see the future more clearly and to move forward into it. So I thank all of them. Yeah, me too. Well, that's going to do it for uh, Terranauts today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Come on, let's keep the chatter down.